1: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Friday, September the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, some last-minute updates on Sunday's game against the Patriots, some roster moves and injury reports. We'll lock it up with the Lock of the Week answer your questions on the Twitter mailbag and it is college football Friday all of that and more but first before any of that I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast Stitcher tuned in, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. still the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnFins, and of course, the written work, including the preview piece for this game on Sunday up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And with that, we have some injury news to get to. Let's bring on the Mad Dog. All right! So another person or two persons were added to Miami's injury report on Thursday as right tackle Julian Davenport injured his knee. He was a limited participant in practice on Thursday and so was defensive end Jonathan Ledbetter. He hurt his ankle in practice, so Ledbetter and Davenport join Trent Harris, Rashad Jones, and Albert Wilson, who all did not practice again on Thursday, Bobby McCain, who once again was limited, and then Walt Aikens was removed from the injury report, and Charles Harris was a full participant. So those guys are on the mend. The Patriots have the exact same three guys, Brandon Bolden, Marcus Cannon, and Matt LaCosse were all limited participants in practice for the Patriots on Thursday.
0: That's another Miami Dolphins.
1: So on the offensive line, we're going to have to figure out something because Julian Davenport, who had a rough game on Sunday, apparently will not play on on this coming Sunday in Week 2. And that means perhaps Jamarcus Webb shows up on the lineup. Not exactly sure where. I suppose at right tackle. Could they put Jesse Davis back over there? They could do that. Jamarcus Webb has experience playing both left and right tackle. But with Davenport now dealing with this issue, I imagine this has to get... Jamarcus Webb into the game somewhere, unless you want to go with Isaiah Prince, the rookie, who to me did not look at all ready for primetime. So some shuffling up front after months, or I should say a month, of continuity on the offensive line with the same five guys every day in practice and throughout the preseason games. The other surprising injury news, Jonathan Ledbetter, the undrafted free agent who started the week one game, an impressive feat for an undrafted free agent, and now, because of course he is... He lands on the injured reserve with designation to return for an ankle injury that was suffered in practice. He's going to be eligible to return week 10 when the Dolphins travel to Indianapolis to face the Colts, and in his place is a familiar face. Tank Carradine, so aptly named for this team in 2019, has been brought back. He'll be on the Dolphins roster. Probably suits up on Sunday and plays against the Patriots. Other news, and I'm not sure if I would consider this actual news, but if he keeps speaking poorly about the coaching staff or of the coaching staff, then maybe it will become news. An article from the USA Today's branch of the New Orleans Saints coverage, the Saints Wire, published an article talking about the required package of picks they would have to spend to acquire cornerback slash safety Minka Fitzpatrick. And let me set a few things straight here. I still think Minka is a damn good football player despite what the last week and a half or two weeks has told us. I think he will ascend to a blue chip status player sooner rather than later in this league. I do think they should have drafted Derwin James in that spot, but you all know by now that he was my number one overall player in that draft class. I also think they need to figure out what the hell they want to do or what they want him to be in Minka Fitzpatrick. Of his 48 snaps last Sunday, only 12 of those Came As a slot cornerback, and I know this team is undermanned at safety right now, but Minka had the lowest passer rating against him of any slot cornerback in the National Football League last year. He was flat out terrific, and that's what he was in college, and it's a starting position in the NFL in today's modern game. This shouldn't be that hard. I mean, Brian Flores knows more football than you and I ever will, but I just don't get this. Play him in the slot. You already moved Bobby McCain from his best position in the slot. To do so, so what the hell are we doing here? Just put him at slot cornerback, let him shine, let him become a pro bowler there. And one last thing here before we jump into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. There was a tweet by a Boston or a Patriots beat writer located up in Boston. Evan Lazar, he did the Brian Flores show back in January when the Dolphins first announced they were going to hire Brian Flores. He's a great follow, even though he covers the Patriots. I'm also going to be on his podcast tomorrow, I believe, or today I should say on Friday, so check that out. But he writes for CSLN Media in Boston. He's at Evan Lazar on Twitter. And during his breakdown of the Dolphins game on Sunday, he was recognizing a lot of concepts that are familiar to the Patriots with Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores, both down here now, respectively. And one of those looks was an offensive package that I talked a lot about this offseason. It was Haas, a play the Patriots ran multiple times on their game-clinching drive in the Super Bowl. Essentially, this is what it is. You empty out the backfield. You go five wide. You can have two backs, two tight ends. You can have one back, one tight end. Whatever the case may be, you go empty. in 11 personnel, for instance, with a running back out wide, a tight end in the seam, and then two more receivers. Check that. Three more receivers in formation. And Haas stands for Hitch. Option, seam, seam, and there should be another H on the end of that hosh, I guess, to complete the other hitch route. You go two hitches on the outside, you go vertical seams on the slots, and then you have a guy like Julian Edelman, or I guess Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson run an option route as the inside slot man, the closest slot in tight to the formation and you create tons of matchup issues in terms of two deep versus one deep, the one-on-one coverage in that slot position. It's difficult to defend when you get the defense in the right package and Miami ran that a couple of times on Sunday. And we're going to get back into that formation later in this episode on the lock of the week. But check out that work from Evan Lazar. He does great stuff. You can see some of these Patriots concepts starting to build into the offense already one game in. And when we get to the end of this season, because I know it's going to be tough to go through the film of this team all season long, we are going to, if we assume that a new quarterback is going to be put here, we'll make comparisons compared to Chad O'Shea's offense and what we saw so far, what we're going to see the rest of the way, and what we could see with those Potential quarterback prospects in this offense but that is for a future date just as the lock of the week is for a future time in this current episode we'll get to that in segment three but first if you guys are looking to head out for a sporting event a live concert make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the vivid seats app help you get to your favorite live event enter promo code kickoff at checkout to receive a discount of up to 100 with vivid seats And now that you've gotten home from work, you took off the gym clothes, you're sitting there on your couch, and you ordered your seats from Vivid Seats, and you're looking to get some food, but you don't want to cook, you had a long day at work, or maybe even a tough day at school, or you could still be stuck at the office. Either way, treat yourself to the meal you deserve, and your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and cardboard pizza. Enter DoorDash. Restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash has been keeping me alive recently because I am all over the place going to school, doing the podcast, and DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you might find a new favorite one too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, eh? Order your local go-tos and choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and even the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now our listeners can get five dollars off their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code locked on. That's five dollars off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App store and enter promo code locked on. Don't forget that's promo code locked on for five dollars off your first order from DoorDash.
0: Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You've heard me
1: talk about how misery loves company in this particular season for the Miami Dolphins in a year that we all know is going to be challenging. From pretty much that opening Ravens drive all the way through until week 17, December 29th at the New England Patriots in Foxborough. But misery loves company so much. And watching Adam Gaze put his tail between his legs and announce that his quarterback, his starting quarterback, who he pumped up all offseason as the reason he could become more aggressive and then to only have the exact same crappy short of the sticks game plan in the first game with the Jets, that quarterback has mono- mono how do you get mono i i thought that was something you got from putting your lips on the water fountain in elementary school or whatever or kissing or just something to that effect that has to do with being in a school population but the bottom line is that he's not going to play on monday night and i just put a bet in on the browns for that game so that it's pretty awesome for me. I'm going to love seeing the Jets go 0-6 or 0-7, just like we do for the first part of the season. But with that, let's go ahead and change gears here and get back on the topic of the Miami Dolphins. It is Twitter Mailbag Friday. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions, and I answer as many as I can here on the podcast with a Twitter shout-out for you. And there were 59 in the bag when I checked to do the show. So let's just go ahead and start right here. This one from Courtney Jonathis. I hope I got that right. It's at Courtney J Media. Do you view Tua as a better prospect than Kyler Murray? It's really difficult because, and I talked about this on Twitter today, on Thursday, about the... About how mobile quarterbacks can kind of mask some of the deficiencies that come with young quarterbacks in the NFL because of their ability with their legs and that's both part of design reads and also getting out of compromised pockets and situations where the pass rush does or the pass protection does not hold up. and Kyler Murray is the best at that I've ever seen and that goes back to Lamar Jackson to Michael Vick. Kyler Murray was the best at that. That I had ever seen so that aspect of his game with the elite arm talent that he possesses and I think the processing he has in the pocket and ability to keep his eyes downfield under pass rush I just loved that entire package of Kyler Murray I thought that his ceiling was as high as anybody's ever played this game because of those elite scramble and design run traits in addition to being a very good and very underrated pocket passer now with Tua it's it's slanted differently. He's more he's more advanced in the processing and cerebral approach as Daniel Jeremiah put it that once you get past that level of having to use your legs as a security blanket and you start to use your mind and your brain to process and protect yourself that way That's something that I think Tua inherently probably already has. And so, with Tua having that elite level accuracy, those consistent mechanics from the ground up, where he is so, so consistently structured in the right way and aligned in the right way to get himself on target and on time with the passing mechanics, but also the clock in his head, the internal clock, the eyes in the back of his head to feel the rush, he has an innate sense for that as well. So, I think the whole package of Tua, if it all comes together for him, the next level he will be better than Kyler Murray but I think that the raw package of Kyler if he can realize some of those traits that Tua has he has more upside but I think Tua is obviously the safer player I would still take Kyler today but it's pretty damn close for me Next question here from Chris J. F. Grave. He's at C.J. F. Grave on Twitter. Davenport left tackle, bad. Davis right tackle, average. Why on earth did they get spun around to play the opposite end? I think a lot of the Jesse Davis experiment is looking forward to possible to a tongue of And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it just makes the most sense to me because you're going to be the only team in the NFL that would prioritize right tackle over left tackle. And I want to reiterate that both tackle positions in today's NFL are important. But as far as the blind side goes, there's a reason left tackles get paid more than right tackles. So I do think that Jesse Davis getting that contract extension to pay him $5 bucks a year, that's the cost of a first-round rookie. So when you come back on the draft day and you do go after a guy like Tristan Wirfs to play right tackle, all of a sudden your tackles are making a combined five or ten million dollars for each season for the next three four seasons that's a great bargain deal and is about half of what laramie tunzel probably would have got on an annual basis so that's the thinking a tryout of sorts for tunzel or not for tunzel for davis at left tackle davenport i think is just a lost cause in general so i won't go too much into him but i think they want to find out if jesse davis can be the left tackle here long term for a left-handed quarterback Next question comes in from JT Evans. He is at JT underscore Evans 97. Given the performances by the Dolphins and Patriots respectively in week one, would you say that covering a 19 point spread would be a major victory Yeah, I do, and I think that spread, even though it's crazy high, is still kind of low because this, to me, is one of the most talented Patriots teams they've had in quite a while, and that only got better with the receiver play of Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown joining up. Offensive line still very good. The defense, I talked about all this on yesterday's podcast. They're loaded, and this Dolphins team, with all the turnover and the way the Patriots can basically mold and adapt their system, I just don't see how Brian Flores keeps up. So honestly... I don't think they'll cover that spread. If they do and they stay close until like halftime or keep it a two-score game into the fourth quarter, that to me would be encouraging. Next question here from Pat. He's at PC Placebo on Twitter. Why do you think Rosen was put in against Baltimore? Just to get him live reps in a blowout, a lack of conviction in the plan for the season, or a disconnect between Flores and Greer. I think the plan has always been with Josh Rosen that they weren't going to play him early in this season, and that became evident throughout OTAs. That was when the real battle kind of took place as far as getting reps into the regular season, was probably back in OTAs, and they made the determination back then because the gap was so great, and I can confirm that gap carried over into training camp at least early on in the first couple of days, and so with that, they knew that Rosen, from a processing and mental standpoint, had a long way to go so they couldn't just trot him out there because he would hinder the development of the rest of the offense, especially behind an offensive line that is just atrocious. And so they kind of have Ryan Fitzpatrick right now as the sacrificial lamb of sorts, and he's going to have to go out there and take these beatings and take these lumps. And when the Dolphins get blown out, that's when you'll see Josh Rosen come in because you're kind of protected by the scoreboard in that instance. They might not pressure you as much, not send as many blitzers, not do as much from a creative standpoint in their coverage disguise on the back end and probably play soft prevent The Ravens didn't do that exactly. They kind of called the dogs off a little bit, but they still sent pressure on Josh Rosen and played tough defense, and they got that pick on him. So I think that the idea was to have him in the game in a protected atmosphere, like a blowout where you're not going to have the same defense you would get in a game that is one or two scores difference. Next question here from Gareth Mellon. He's at Gareth underscore Mellon on Twitter. Shouldn't we all be interested in the Bucs as they could be in the market for a quarterback in the draft if Winston doesn't perform? If we don't fancy Tua, maybe a trade down for more picks? Yeah, I think the Buccaneers will certainly be in the market for a quarterback next year. I've been on the record saying that Bruce Arians isn't going to last in Tampa Bay. And part of that is because one, he said he didn't have the itch to get back into coaching. He just kind of had the job offered and he took it. And two, he said that what you can get done in 18 hours should be able to get done in 10 hours. And if you don't do that, you shouldn't be coaching. Well, every other coach in the history of coaching disagrees with you, Bruce. So I just don't think that Bruce really has the big time itch and desire to be a coach at this point, yet here he is. And so because of all that, I do think the Bucks are going to be one of the worst teams. That's why I put them in the top three in my, I think I put them second in my power tankings uh, on Twitter the other day. I think the Bucks are going to be really bad, but I just think that Miami is pretty far and away right now, the worst team in football. So I wouldn't get too concerned about any of that until we get down the line. As far as trading off Tua, I'm not interested in that at all. I want a franchise quarterback because that can change everything for your team way more than draft picks will do. Here's a question from Chris Larondo. He's at extortion on Twitter asking about Minka Fitzpatrick's best position. It's the slot cornerback role, guys, and I talked about that in the opening segment, so I guess that's the answer to the question, but he's a slot cornerback. He always has been. He can give you some looks as a safety. I do believe he has an opportunity to be a free safety slot cornerback hybrid, but his best position is hands down slot cornerback. One more before break. This one is going to come in from Guns and Roses at Jersey FinFan. What happened to Cox and Power Football? Maybe I was just too annoyed to pay attention after the first three touchdowns, but I don't remember seeing either much, if at all. Well, they got behind on the scoreboard, and that's why they had to go away from the run-based offense, and they got shut down. Chandler Cox only played three snaps because by the end of the first quarter, it was a three-touchdown game, and you can't really just line up and run the ball down the team's throat and try to milk clock when you're down by three touchdowns. So, yeah, you're kind of on the right track there. I also think they want to kind of work him in slowly when the packages or the the game plan calls for it you're going to see plenty of Chandler Cox this year it just wasn't the right time on Sunday we've got some more questions here in the mailbag talking about this game on Sunday we're also going to have my college football picks on the other side but first if you found a hundred bucks on the street would you pick it up or keep walking of course you'd take the money so why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them that's why I go to my bookie where it's fast it's easy and they pay you when you win let's face it where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Don't wait for your payments. Check out my bookie. I wouldn't be telling you guys about them if they weren't the best in the business. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, who doesn't? Try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit when you use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid.
0: TurboTax experts make your moves count. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast. And this Locked On podcast is brought to you by TurboTax. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts will make sure that they count for you. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? Well, that's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That is a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? That quite literally would be a move. Or maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house. Or you switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or maybe you just rode the stock market to the moon and back. Any of those things that you did or any other moves that you made, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and every deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy and getting you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax today, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax live.
1: hope all of your Friday afternoons are going as well as mine. The weather could not be any better out here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure it's still a scorcher down in South Florida. But good times are coming ahead as the weather starts to kind of mellow out for you guys. And with that, let's go ahead and jump back into the Twitter questions here and do a couple more of these. This one comes in from Beat the Patriots at iSweetheart. I believe this is Yvonne. How's it going, Yvonne? Our run game was non-existent against Baltimore, and the Patriots only allowed the Steelers 25 rushing yards from their running backs. How can the Dolphins attack on the ground? Well, that was one of the things I liked the most about the Brian Flores hire was that his defensive scheme really does a good job of committing bodies into the run fits against the running game. And that includes linebackers, safety, slot cornerbacks. Everybody has to be involved in run defense and they force you to try to beat them with creative design because they're going to outnumber you in the box. And that's really all running the ball in the NFL is, is trying to outnumber the opposition to the play side in terms of how many bodies you have compared to what they have to defend those bodies so the Patriots are the very same way they are going to find a way to get every single gap uh, filled and then they're going to have guys rotate in behind that to fill the vacancies where the running back tries to pick through so for the Dolphins to get off to a good start in the running game and to continue to have that success they're going to have to be they're going to have to be innovative in the way they run things because Like the Wildcat back in 2008, they're going to have to do some misdirection, some jet sweep action, some zone read, find creative ways to get the Patriots off balance and use their aggressiveness against them and then go against the grain that way. But I don't expect them to have a lot of success against the run on this Patriots defense. They are very good at stopping it. We have a lot more questions in here about Mika Fitzpatrick. I will say that, yeah, I am pretty concerned about it just because I think that He's not playing like he should be right now, and the fact that he's calling out the coaches in the media is definitely not a good thing. Let's get to one more question here. This one comes in from Philippe A. He's at Phil underscore The Butcher. Which teams are our biggest threats for getting Tua Definitely the Buccaneers, because I mentioned that Bruce Arians is pretty much checked out at this point. I think the Bengals are one of those teams, even though they played great on opening day. I know the the thing to do is to overreact to every single game, but you have to recall that opening day very rarely tells you about a team's true metal and true acumen as far as who they're going to be that season. Sometimes it does. I think the Dolphins case, for instance, is very much who they're going to be. A bad football team, not that bad, but a bad team nonetheless. But recall the Dolphins went to Seattle a couple years ago and almost knocked off the Seahawks in that building. Week one's kind of a farce, so I think the Bengals are in that mix. I think the Jets are absolutely in that mix, mostly because their head coach is a doofus. I think that the Bucks, Jets... Jaguars could be, even though everyone's on the Gardner Minshew train, which they should be, go Cougs. But still, he's a sixth-round draft pick who's starting his second NFL game, or his first NFL game in his second NFL appearance, I should say. That was worded weird, but you guys understand what I'm saying. They're in the mix, I think. I think the Broncos might be in there as well. Washington figures to be in that mix and so are the Giants, but they had a quarterback drafted with the sixth overall pick. So they probably won't go in that direction, but plenty of bad teams in this league. We'll see how it shakes out. And we're going to get into my picks for college football here in just one second. But first, my pick for lock of the week, week two, 2019. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you you lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. This one is in-depth and way different than last week's satire bit, even though I did believe we'd have a bad snap because that just seems to be how things go for this Miami Dolphins football team. And the one thing we didn't have negative in that game was a bad snap, 59-0. But this week is just about a play call that I expect we're going to see from the offense. And if you'll refer back to Mr. Lazar's tweet in the first segment about Haas, which stands for Hitch Option Seam Seam, and then Hitch on the end, even though there's no H at the end. He broke down another play in that game, the Devontae Parker soaring snag where he caught the deep pass from Fitzpatrick. It was a fake jet sweep with play action to the running back with a backside crosser and Devontae Parker going up to the post. Now, I wasn't supposed to talk about this stuff at the time but now I can but they ran a lot of variations off that play in training camp and one of those was a really cool looking throwback play where Ryan Fitzpatrick boots away from the jet sweep action then turns and throws it back across to the jet sweep motion, Jakeem Grant so my lock of the week is that we see that or some variation of that play the jet sweep play action throwback something similar to that that's the lock of the week And since it is Friday, it is officially College Football Friday. We'll do my picks in one second. But first, the quarterbacks you have to watch this Saturday. Really only one good game. The first one on the docket is at noon. That's Georgia at home against Arkansas State, an FCS opponent for Jake Fromm. He'll probably go like 12 for 13 with 150 yards and one or two touchdowns and hand the ball off a lot and then check out at halftime. The one you might get to see Tua Tungavailoa for, three quarters maybe, maybe a half. It's at South Carolina, a conference game on the road. It's on CBS. That's just says fall to me, college football on CBS, the SEC. It's at 3.30 Eastern. South Carolina, kind of doo-doo, but Tua plays a road conference game. That one's worth watching. And then late in the night, 10.45 Eastern for you guys out there. Justin Herber and the Oregon Ducks host The Montana Grizz at Autzen Stadium in Oregon, 1045 Pac-12 Network, and Jordan Love and the Utah State Aggies are off this week. So only three quarterbacks to watch, unless you want to check out Joe Burrow and Jacob Eason and all those guys, but I'm going to keep it on the top four quarterback prospects at least up until October. All right, the last segment of the week here. It is Friday. That means we have six more games to pick in college football this week. We started off beautifully last week. 3-0 Three and zero in the early games, then dropped the final three to fall to three and three and get to eight and six. But we're starting off this week with a Friday night game. My Washington State Cougars travel to Houston to face. The Cougars for the right to call yourself the Cougars. Hashtag go Cougs. But what folks don't realize about Mike Leach and his high powered air raid system is that he does play more ball control, and the Washington State defense has been good for a while now. Give me under 75 points in the Friday night showcase. North Carolina State is only giving seven points to a battered West Virginia program. Give me the Wolfpack in that one, minus seven. Alabama and Tuatunga Vailoa, 25 and a half point favorites. I don't even care. They're going to score a million in that game. Give me the Crimson Tide in that one. Oklahoma State and Tulsa, over 65. Both those teams like to score. Oklahoma State can't stop stop a nosebleed. Iowa State is getting three from Iowa at home. Give me the Cyclones in that one, plus three. And Texas Tech, Arizona under 78 points in the nightcap Texas Tech plays good defense Arizona's offense is up and down give me the under there so Washington State Houston under 75 North Carolina State minus seven Alabama minus 25 and a half Oklahoma State and Tulsa over 65 Iowa State plus three against Iowa and Texas Tech and Arizona under 78 points. And with that, let's go ahead and call that a week's worth of podcast. It was a great week of shows, and I appreciate you guys for sticking with me through these rough times for this football team. As always, Locked On Dolphins will have you covered as your go-to source for all things Miami Dolphins football. And with that... Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Sunday, not tomorrow.
0: And I'm gonna hold and Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy.